Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. It is Thursday the 9th of September. Today I want to have a look at a speech, a series of comments that Chris Hipkins, the COVID-19 minister, made in Parliament um, over a day ago now and just pull it together into a broad look at what's happening with the elimination strategy and with the Fortress New Zealand um, restrictions at the border and where we are with vaccinations and the like, just to try and understand you know, where we go from here and what sort of planning we can do. We're obviously at the tail end of quashing this latest Delta outbreak, but it's really changed the game in how the government's thinking about vaccination strategies, elimination strategies, and how we reconnect to the world. You might recall, um, probably a month ago now, just before the lockdowns, there was a big announcement by the SCEG group of a reconnecting to the world strategy. And the idea was that we would have risk-adjusted um, thresholds for people to come into the country. Now, some, if you're coming from a very risky place, you'd have to go through the two weeks of MIQ. But there would be a bunch of other places from low-risk countries, in theory, that would allow um, people to not have to go through MIQ. And, of course, MIQ is the limit. If a lot of people could self-isolate safely, then that allows uh, a much wider door at the border and allows you know a lot more people to come home for family events or people in business to go away and come back. And of course, in theory, begin some tourism and potentially have some students coming and going. However, uh, the COVID Delta outbreak And actually, the February outbreak have clearly changed the government's views, even since the release of the SCEG report. And it's clear now from listening to Chris Hipkins and the Prime Minister that the government believe now that it will be very, very difficult to open up the border much anytime soon. And that because of the way the vaccines are not stopping people from reinfecting others, And that even if we got to a very, very, very high vaccination rate over 90%, particularly for our vulnerable communities, particularly young and young Māori and Pacifica, even if we got over 90%, we would still have around 500 deaths a year from COVID and more than 6,000 hospitalizations a year from COVID. Now, currently our hospital system just could not cope with that. It's already struggling with just... 39 cases in the Auckland hospital system and just six people in um, ICU or high dependency units to the point where the government has had to ask for emergency people to come from other DHPs in the rest of the country. So 39 cases in hospital at the moment and six people in ICU and basically that's as much as we can cope with. So the idea that we can open up after we get to 90% vaccination rates, given what we know about how effective the vaccines are at the moment at stopping uh, transmission and also the risk of breakthrough infections, which would um, force people into hospital, means now that uh, it's pretty hard to open up um, and keep the elimination strategy, in part because this thing is so infectious that to ensure you get on top of it, as soon as you find out about the first case, you have to do a nationwide lockdown. Why? Because clearly it had been circulating in the community for four or five days before that. 
And a very quick uh, measure of the contacts being traced shows, you know, there's a lot of movement around New Zealand. People are flying all over the place. So it's very hard not to do nationwide lockdowns because people are traveling. And that four or five days where you don't know about the outbreak, you need to jump on it very hard and wide. So it's clear because of that, um, we can't really do immediate short-term regional lockdowns Sydney-style. That was the problem in Sydney. They just didn't go hard enough and wide enough early enough. So um, if we're going to keep elimination, you have to keep your very hard, wide, and potentially quite long lockdowns. You've got to remember that we're into a month of level four in Auckland, and it's clear from there's still there's still um, over 25 mystery cases, including one or two yesterday. And you need to work out where those people got infected and how to understand if there are more contacts out there. And uh, this latest case of uh, someone who rocked up to um, the Middlemore Hospital who turned out had COVID and so did the rest of the 10 people living in the one place had uh, COVID as well. Um, that was a surprise. Uh, those people had not um, got tested. And uh, with the dropping off of testing rates, that's making the government nervous. So you'd have to think this current lockdown lasts for another two or three weeks. So um, I wanted to play some of the comments from Chris Hipkins uh, in Parliament on Tuesday night in an unusual place. It was in an estimates debate and there were some questions and answers between uh, uh, some questions from Chris Bishop who's the opposition's COVID-19 spokesman, and also David Seymour, the ACT leader. And it was Parliament working at its best, I think, where there were a series of exchanges and the Minister was allowed to um, give detailed answers and was in a mood to be quite reflective and frank, as even the opposition admitted. And uh, we really got a, a sort of a look inside Chris Hipkins's brain on how he's thinking about it. And it's clear from listening to this and, and the other things that are around that we're now in a, a really tough place. We have effectively built a gilded cage for ourselves and we don't quite know how to get out of it. We realise that if we were to open the door a little bit, um, the cats would come in and eat the budgies. Uh, we really uh, have now, we're now starting to understand that we can't allow anyone to come in and spread COVID because our hospital system couldn't cope with it. We probably will struggle to get vaccination up to anything like um, what's needed for herd immunity. And it looks like from overseas, there is no such thing as herd immunity because people are able to pass on infections even though they are vaccinated. And there seems to be quite a few breakthrough infections uh, that end up in hospitalizations for people who have been vaccinated. And you're seeing a waning of the strength of the vaccine in places like Israel, where they got it first, particularly the Pfizer version, meaning we're likely to need significant numbers of boosters continually to try and keep up the uh, protection. So we can't rely on herd immunity. Uh, we can't rely on uh, the border to stop these regular hard lockdowns. We can't rely on our hospital system or our tracking and tracing system to avoid hard, hard and wide lockdowns. 
And um, it's clear that uh, there was one place we could have opened up to, which was Australia, and that's where we caught it from. And now it's loose and out of control in Australia, particularly in New South Wales and unfortunately in Victoria. It's headed that way pretty quickly as well. And um, the one hope for an opening up of the cage is MIQ and listening to uh, Chris Hipkins uh, in this speech it's clear uh, we either don't have the hotel rooms with the right type of ventilation to do it, and even if we did, we don't have the staff to do it. The talk of a dedicated MIQ facility, uh, he acknowledged, yep, that's a good idea and we haven't taken it off the table, but it would take 18 months to two years to build it. And, you know, do you really want to build it? And by the end of that two years, the uh, the pandemic is finished and the rest of the world uh and you can see that the government realise the situation they're in. I mean, it's a better situation than many other places. We have only had um, five or six deaths per million people when the numbers are more like a 1,000 in most other places and over 1,600 in the UK. But now that we've built this cage, we don't know how to open it without um, losing all the gains that we've made. And we realise we probably need to open it but everyone in New Zealand is convinced that it should stay closed. And we have a collection of magical thinking going on here where a lot of people think, well, we just have to hang on and get through this outbreak a couple of months here and there and we'll be back to normal like we were before this latest lockdown. And we can keep this um, these incursions out of the border uh, for months and months and months and we can be at level one for months and months and months. Well, because of the way COVID operates and because we can't completely close the border. And even then, you know, MIQ is very limited and there's awful, there's awful stories from overseas of people wanting, needing to come home for medical and family reasons, not to mention all the people here who need to go overseas and see family for medical and, fa and, and humanitarian reasons. And that means that uh, you can't really expand MIQ in any great way. In fact, if anything, it's going to be more limited. So all of those um, companies who want to bring in workers uh, are going to really struggle. And uh, anyone who wants tourists or students, there's no chance of that. So we're in this really strange situation where we can't wait to get vaccination rates high enough because they'll never be high enough. We can't open the border just a little bit because our hospital system can't cope with it. Um, we are going to effectively have to wait until there are better vaccines invented to avoid um, transmission of the virus and to snuff it out overseas. So the way I see this in listening to Chris Hipkins is that the borders stay closed next year, at least, and we're not going to be able to open up in any meaningful way until 2023 and probably not till late 2023 because we all hope touch wood by then there'll be some better back vaccines and boosters and that the pandemic may have burned itself out overseas that's obviously a real problem for those people who still believe that either we open up in a couple of months once we get vaccination high enough or we uh stay closed in effect, but we can widen MIQ a bit and um, you know, let in those people with um, medical and humanitarian reasons. Um, that's not possible because we can't increase the size of MIQ. And uh, this is the problem. We've all 
we all think we can continue on with the elimination strategy ad infinitum or that we can get over vaccination over the vaccination threshold and open up neither is possible and it's dawning on people uh, that that that's the case just in case you're wondering you know where is he getting this from well have a listen to i want to, i want you to have a listen to uh, a few clips from chris hipkins talking on tuesday night in parliament so this is uh, a question essentially and i can i've put the main quotes, if you're not interested in listening to Chris Hipkins in Parliament, I've put the main quotes um, into the body of the uh, email that I've produced, and you can see those coming through. The first um, section is where Chris Hipkins is is talking about um, whether or not we can carry on with the SCEG report. And in particular, the idea of having these um, different levels of risk and allowing people to self-isolate. So here's, here's Chris Hipkins. Mr Speaker, the, we set out some thinking, some early thinking, uh, not long before this current lockdown around what a future reopening might look like and how we might transition uh, from a position where the border is... Uh, not quite hermetically sealed, but certainly very, very restricted compared to what it would normally be, uh, to something where we might get a greater degree of movement across the border. We did that at the time, uh, and we set out at the time some thinking around uh, a risk profiling exercise for different countries. It would be fair to say that Delta uh, has, has actually changed some of the thinking about that even in the last few weeks. Uh, we were looking at a situation where you could stratify countries based on risk, and I think in the Delta environment, we actually have to consider uh, whether, in fact, that's an appropriate thing to do, uh, recognising that uh, all countries, all people coming into the country at this point, uh, have a degree of risk associated with them. And some of the, <clears throat> the risk protection measures that we've had in place previously, like pre-departure testing potentially three days before travel, in a Delta environment where someone can be picking it up and being infectious within 24 hours, uh, some of those things actually do need to be looked at again. Now, um, that all plays into a question mark about uh, what our longer term, our medium to longer term border settings will be. Uh, we haven't set out any new thinking on that. Obviously, at the moment, the focus is on responding to the current outbreak. But I think we will have to uh, look again at some of that thinking around the, particularly the country risk profiling, uh, because I think Delta has changed the game. So you get a sense there that um, the whole SCEG report really is now redundant, that the idea of reconnecting to New Zealand is going to be very difficult. Uh, he was then asked by uh, Chris Bishop about um, whether or not, because Chris Bishop could hear that there was being some, some reasonably open discussion going on, and essentially asked, you know, what is the pathway then to reconnecting to the world um, if we can't do it the skeg way? So here's Chris Hipkins again asking, uh, answering and just confirming that, yes, the thinking has changed, that the skeg report is effectively on Mr Speaker, I think it would be fair to say it's not necessarily that the thinking has changed, but the thinking is changing and evolving. And it is an evolving situation that we're dealing with. I think that there are some things that we should put on the table and be upfront about. The first of which is, uh, do we think it's, it's um, viable uh, for 
a prolonged period of time to continue to restrict movement at the border to the sort of four and a half thousand rooms worth of people at any, in any given fortnight. And I think the reality is it is not going to be viable to sustain that um, beyond the sort of immediate response, the immediate global response phase of COVID-19, which is obviously uh, the pandemic is still raging. Uh, and so we are going to have to think about alternatives to that. Things like self-isolation are part of the, the question. Uh, things like uh, the elimination strategy itself and how the elimination strategy evolves in a, first of all, in New Zealand that has a high rate of vaccination, which of course is what we're all pitching towards, but also in a world that will increasingly become more highly vaccinated over the next year, 18 months to two years. Now, um, we can look at some of the countries in the OECD and see high rates of vaccination there. Actually, they're not the ones that I worry about in terms of the spread of the virus. The virus is spreading and mutating in countries that have low vaccination rates. And actually, they are going to have quite a big impact on what happens at our border, those countries where the virus continues to spread. Because uh, what the epidemiologists and the virologists and, uh, and all of the other scientists will, will tell us is that breakthrough infections, you know, when it comes to vaccination, are more likely while the, while the virus continues to spread rampantly. When we can turn that volume down globally, that is the point at which everybody becomes safer. So you can sense what he's saying there, that we're going to have to wait 18 months to two years before everyone else is safe, and then we could really truly look to open up. And... Uh, that's not quite how the rest of the country sees elimination at the moment. Either, just to remind everyone, I think people look at elimination and go, yes, we can do this. We've done it again with this you know, shocking, scary Delta outbreak. And then we're going to have months and months and months where we don't have a big lockdown. That's highly unlikely with Delta. In fact, we were probably lucky to get away with not having a lockdown for a good six months or so after the Valentine's Day outbreak. And so that means more hard and long lockdowns, uh, which for a lot of people are painful. Um, even now with level 2.5 in the rest of the country, you're hearing from hospitality companies that they can't, they can't really exist with this limit of 50 and the two meter gap, two meter gaps between tables. Um, the advent sector is stuffed in the rest of the country. And uh, we're unlikely to see a to return to that full level one freedom without mask wearing indoors with more than 50 people indoors uh, or more than 100 people outdoors. So, um, you know, that's going to be difficult. I just wanted to play one more um, clip here from Chris Hipkins talking in Parliament. Uh, you've got to remember here too, Chris Hipkins, the COVID-19 minister and the education minister, effectively there are, and it's the same with any government, there's about four or five people who actually run the government. So obviously the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister, but the three or four people around them in the kitchen cabinet of the government are effectively Chris Hipkins, uh, David Parker, I think, and uh, Michael Wood. Uh, you could maybe add uh, Nanaya Mahuta and Megan Woods if you were um, looking to include things like housing and uh, foreign affairs and local government. Um I certainly think Nanai Mahuta is um, a lot more influential in Cabinet than a lot of other people think, uh, and that maybe Megan Woods um, is not quite at the core of that kitchen cabinet. So Chris Hipkins is very important in understanding what the government is really saying and thinking, particularly 
in those unguard moments, the Prime Minister is very, um, uh, very, very controlled and disciplined about ensuring that she has a clear message. And at the moment, of course, that clear message has to be elimination. And then if we just get through that, we can open up again. Uh, but Chris Hipkins is being a bit more realistic about it. Here he is um, talking uh, a bit more about this issue of vaccination and MIQ. Uh, the hunger for certainty, I think, that's evident in the members' uh, in the members' comments. I think we all want to know what the world's going to look like in the future. If I could perhaps use an analogy, and it's not a it's not a neat analogy, uh, but it is an, it is uh, it, it is uh, one that I think is partly appropriate. After September the 11th, there were massive queues at the airport for airport security because suddenly every airport in the world had to stand up a whole lot of security that they hadn't had before. International aviation uh, was massively reduced. There were huge queues. There were huge delays. The world adjusted within a short period of time to a new normal, and now we just accept that that is part of international travel. I think that there will be a new normal when it comes to things like international travel in a, in a pandemic era. We don't know what that's going to look like yet, but we need to be in those conversations and ready to adapt quickly uh, to whatever might come along. And that is absolutely where the government's focus is at. So things like vaccine passports. No, it's not feasible for New Zealand to develop its own vaccine passport system. Uh, it would be futile to do so if no other country could read it and interact with it. We want to be part of a system that's global. That means that people can share that information seamlessly and instantly uh, and New Zealanders can share their vaccine information, their testing information and so on, as part of the, the prerequisite requirements to travel internationally. So we've got to be right in there with, with those conversations. So there isn't uh, uh, certainty here. In terms of the other question from uh, the member around the cost-benefit analysis, I can tell him that uh, I'm responsible for a very large part of the government spending at the moment across the two big portfolios I've got, education and COVID-19 response. Uh, and I would absolutely love to have the volumes of money that we're spending on COVID-19 response to spend in education. So um, just a little bit at the end there about cost-benefit analysis. A question from David Seymour asking the question, you know, can you really stay locked down this long? Uh, the costs, there are costs to business um, and all sorts of other costs. And uh, that, um, you know, surely there's some money that could be spent to solve some of these problems. And essentially, uh, Chris Hipkins is saying no. So the point of this video, this um, podcast and to play those quotes is just to uh, paint out a wider picture of what I think is going on here. A, we are stuck with elimination for the foreseeable future, and that could be a couple of years. B, Elimination actually means very, very tight borders for very, very long because we don't have and we can't get extra MIQ capacity. And we can't easily just get out and come back because we know there is problems with MIQ capacity. There is still the suspension right now of the issuance of new vouchers out into um, the end of this year. And reading between the lines of what Chris Hipkins is saying there, we're going to have to wait for new vaccines to be invented or new booster shots to be invented that reduce the infectiousness and the danger of Delta, given the restrictions we have inside our hospital system. And we look like being the pretty much the only place in the world, apart from maybe China, which 
can legitimately continue on with an elimination strategy. But we need to understand that the magical thinking that's going on at the moment about, well, we just hang on for a few more weeks and then we'll open up again and we'll stay open up for months and months and months and we won't have any more of these hard, long, wide lockdowns. That's just not true. Or secondly, that we can increase the size of MIQ and we can you know, widen the gaps in the bars and have the right people come in and they won't spread the virus. That's not true. And uh, for those people who maybe are planning or hoping to hold on to their businesses, it might be a tourism business that relies on international travel, or they're thinking, oh, well, I'll just wait until early next year and then I'll go and see Nana and um, everything will be okay. Or I've got a business that requires me to go to conferences or to meet with suppliers and investors and buyers and I don't have to wait long. I'll be out there again early next year because that's when the government said we would open up. Well, that may have been true a month ago before this Delta outbreak and true when the Skeg report came out, but it's clear now that the government thinks the Skeg report is off, that we're just going to have to hold on and stay closed for quite a while, 18 months to two years. And that's why I'd be very reluctant to be booking holidays or trips overseas before 2024, in my view. And... Uh, People need to think about other ways to run their businesses and their lives that don't involve international travel. As you heard there from Chris Hipkins, it's a permanent change, similar in a way to what happened to the international aviation industry after 9-11, but I think in a much more um, aggressive way involving vaccine passports. Um, and again, just uh, to reinforce, we are now stuck with an ICU system and the level of staffing, which means we can't handle outbreaks, uh, even at vaccination rates over 90%. And realistically, we're not going to get to over 90% for the most vulnerable groups. I've included in the uh, um, Dawn Chorus uh, email some detail about where Young Māori and Pacifica get their information from much more heavily engaged in uh, YouTube, Netflix and Facebook, um, which, of course, with Facebook and with YouTube, very vulnerable to misinformation and not connected to the usual um, sectors and uh, or have access to the sorts of um, healthcare facilities that uh, others in the community have. So I don't think we're going to get over 90% even for those groups. You could choose to you know, open up and let it rip, but that means um, our a hospital system gets overwhelmed and all of those people who um, turn up expecting an uh, intensive care unit after a car crash or a um, heart operation are going to really struggle, as we've already seen with just a few people in ICU. Um, it's a tough situation. We've essentially built ourselves a cage and we don't know how to get out of it and we're not quite sure what to do. And so we're hanging on for dear life, hoping that something improves overseas that means that we can open up and do it without lots of people dying uh, that is the guts of the situation as i see it um again i'm unelectable and unemployable so i can say this say this stuff and i welcome your questions and um comments uh, below I'd quite like to have someone poke a hole in my, in my theory there and uh, show me that we can open up safely uh, quite quickly because I love that too but at the moment I don't see it um, and I don't think that Delta and whatever comes after Delta will allow us to do it until this thing has been 
uh, squashed by new vaccines or um, efforts overseas to stop it. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a slightly extended uh, version of the Dawn Chorus this morning, Thursday the 9th of uh, September, because I wanted to call out what I think is the magical thinking on the elimination strategy from everyone else and to say that the government understand it. And understandably, they are continuing on without explaining in detail what this all means, because then that could hurt the current plan to uh, kill off uh, the COVID Delta outbreak. And of course, no one wants to be in a position of telling voters and everyone that there's no hope of any real contact with the rest of the world beyond the internet and phones and stuff uh, for two years. A month or two people can live with. Two years, that would be explosive. So no one's saying it, but that's where we are now. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. Kakite anō.